What's going on, everybody? You're listening to the Canby Christian Church Podcast. This is an on-Sunday episode. That is the episode where the pastors of the church get together in a weird-smelling basement on a Monday and talk about what happened on Sunday. I'm Cody. I'm Aaron. And I'm Rob. And as I said, you're listening to On Sunday. Uh, On Sunday, a lot of stuff happened, but before Sunday, some other stuff happened. Rob, you had kind of a busy that week, nobody right? Cares about, huh? You had kind of a busy week, right? You're right, Rob. No one does care. Really. Cody, go All on. right, anyways, Aaron, how's <laughs> um, how a you little doing? bit. You guys um, got to go to a cool conference. That's really we what did. Happened we did go week. to a me cool and Cody and a handful of our worship team went up to Portland to um, learn some really wonderful principles, practically and even more so, I think, theologically, and get to worship with. 300 plus, you know, different people from different churches, musicians, worship leaders, pastors. Yeah, I mean, worship conferences are always kind of fun because it's all the people that help lead worship at their churches and then they're all in a building together singing. Yeah. So it's like you're hearing like rad harmonies. It's the and, dream yeah. team. As Thomas team. Terry would call it a bunch of creatives. Bunch yes. of bunch of <laughs> we were a bunch of creatives. Bunch of creatives <laughs> creating, dude. Um, mm. Dude, there was a creative who was like an opera creative, I think, because she was belting from oh, the last she? row. No, and it was like you know, um, oftentimes when you're listening, like when you're in a, a situation where people are singing in a modern style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. one random person is singing opera style. It's yeah. like really like it doesn't out like, of place. It doesn't Jarring. work. Yeah, this like. I think because of like the harmony that was coming through, she kind of picked her spots. Like I didn't hear her the whole time, but then like at the peak of some songs, she would bust out like some crazy no. harmony that wow. it was just like huge. And I'm like, dang, that actually, yeah, that sounded awesome. Like <coughs> I don't even know who it was. With tons there was of- also the last song we sang. Some dude hit some crazy bass notes on like Doxology, I think. Oh yeah, maybe. and I don't know. I couldn't even tell where he was coming. He sounded like he was right behind me, but I have no idea oh, where he vocal was. Vocal bass notes. Yeah, oh, I don't wow. know where he was in the room, but it was like you know deep. I can't do it. I'm I'm not a bass. But, wow, right. that's awesome. But you know, it's kind of fun seeing some hearing stuff like that. But it was also a very good conference with very good teaching. Yeah, yeah. I thought we had um, we learned a lot. You know, got uh, reinforced a lot of things that we uh, already, you know, were thinking scripturally, but getting some encouragement there. And, and even more than that, just spending quality time with our volunteer worship team was like, yeah, right. That was, was fun. worth it all. You exactly. Know? That was really fun. Yeah. Some good books, too. You Meanwhile, get some books. everyone listening is thinking, can anything good come out of Portland? <laughs> Dude, some good <laughs> yes. stuff. A good, a good worship conference. Dude, I have, I have <laughs> yeah. an answer for that, too, because, I mean, I was... I was thoroughly enjoying myself because I got Grasa, <laughs> which is an Italian it's restaurant, Italian really restaurant great. right by Henson. That's very good. Super and, good. uh, and so I got that. And then, uh, at the end of the conference, it was dinner time. I convinced everyone to go with me to the cookie dough cafe yeah. for a snack and eat dinner at home at their houses when we got back. <laughs> <laughs> and the cookie dough cafe is like my favorite place on earth. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Have you been there? No, I've never uh, even heard they, of it. Th- like they make edible cookie dough, mm, right? Okay, like okay. so, you're you're not supposed to cook it. It's like you're cookie- not gonna get salmonella. Yeah, it's cookie dough made to be eaten raw. Mm. But you go there, and it's like they have ice cream too. But so you basically get like an ice cream scoop of ice cream next to the same size ice cream scoop of cookie dough. Wow! Mm. And it is yeah, it is to die for. That sounds delish. <laughs> it's yep. I'm on a no sugar diet right no, now, so no, it's not no gonna sugar. work. There's no sugar in it. <laughs> 
<laughs> There's no sugar. Sugar free. <laughs> no, it's full of sugar. I'll but it was it, it was it was really good and it was a lot of fun um to do that. Yeah. That's cool. great. Yeah, it sounded beneficial. I'm sorry I missed it. I I did a memorial service on Saturday, so that's why yes. I was not there and why Ashley Bentley was there on Friday but not there on Saturday because yeah. she was uh it was her friend's father who passed away. So mm-hmm. we served this family together on Saturday morning and it went really well, but that added a lot um to the plate over the weekend. Um mm-hmm. and then uh huh. Go ahead. Was there quite a bit of folks here or was it? Dude, it was, yeah, it was huge. So this gentleman who passed away, um, he he was an older man, but he was like owned Rose City Sound. Oh, So he was a sound tech Mm -hmm. in, in, and obviously served in his own church for years and years. Mm. But he ran like this massive uh, network of sound engineers and a sound company. And they were telling stories about how he like ran sound for like when the president would come into the, into Portland and he met several presidents and all of this, just all these bands that came through, he did sound for them. He did like Miss Oregon pageant every year. (laughs) I don't know. It was just kind of wild. I'm like, and so there was kind of a joke when I was the, the daughters, cause they were there early when we were sound checking the microphones, you know? And she, they were all like, oh my gosh, if you got up there and did, you know, microphone check, one, two, one, two, like it would just totally remind everybody of our dad, you know? And uh, so I did. <laughs> I, I, right when I, the, like to kick the thing off, I was like, is this on? Microphone check, one, two. And everybody kind of, <laughs> they nice. like kind of had a subtle, like he broke the ice, you know? Nice. Um, And you know, obviously you don't want to make jokes at something like that, but it was definitely like contextually appropriate Yeah, yeah. for the moment. I mean, you the know? family kind of asked you to in some regard. In some way. Like, they they this... didn't ask me to do it. They were like, I don't know how this would go down, but I bet you people would laugh. They yeah. Would, yeah, they would appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. So it was... Well, uh, and it's it's a subtle joke referencing the person you're honoring for the day. Yeah, for sure. It's not like you got up and was like... What's the deal with airplane food? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, it was uh it was really nice. You could tell he was a good good man, loved the Lord and mm-hmm. uh all that. So it's uh, those are always the easier ones to do, you know? Yeah. Um but I didn't know anyone from the from the family and all that, but Anyway, but Ashley knew them. That's how they Ashley got knew connected. the daughter, one of the daughters of the guy. Um, she's good friends with them. Um, mm. So anyway, it was good. It was good to serve the family in that way. But yeah, other than that, just a normal week. And you went to John. the Hostellers. Yeah, they had like an Oktoberfest Saturday night. Basically, they just like do apple cider press and make pizzas. pizzas and a bunch yeah. of people are there. Did you carve um, a pumpkin? I did not. And I did not let my kids carve a pumpkin either because I got in trouble earlier in the day. So we're like, no, you're not carving pumpkins tonight. Dang. So, what? I mean, what are you going to do? Our strict dad. I know. I mean, we don't take anything else from him. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> we don't take anything else from him. You got to take this one thing away. Nice. Uh, and then I got to lead worship. I was thinking, how did I have this busy week? <laughs> well, you didn't have the memorial service when... That's true. 
We first put you on worship, uh, I don't think. Or did you? No. I mean, not you ne- did. no, you not did necessarily. Get a busy week. Yeah, not necessarily. Yeah, I mean, because I had the conference, but I didn't have to do anything in particular at the conference. Yeah, other you were than, just attending. Other than an, a, a conference attender, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I like registered our group or whatever, but that's not really that big a deal. And then I came back and like didn't have to do anything. Well, you were helping <laughs> Hannah. She's a new sound volunteer. And so you were Yeah, which her is out. awesome too. Yeah, yeah, no, that was definitely helpful for sure. Um, for her, probably a lot to have you there. But yeah, it was it was nice. I but I thought to myself, I'm like, man, usually like when I go to a preaching conference, I'm like excited to get back. You know, you're kind of fired up. And I'm like, I bet you Cody kind of wishes he was leading a little bit this morning. I mean, actually, no, honestly, I was kind of excited to just worship with our congregation. Sure. You know, like that's actually what the the conference made me more excited about than anything. Huh. Is to just like be with our people worshiping, you know? Right. Like obviously leading is also uh, something that is fulfilling yeah, yeah or whatever yeah. you know but uh but yeah the like when you're at a conference on richly singing the word of god to each other it kind of yeah. makes you want to like just be with the people in right. general and sing together you know yeah no that's cool which was nice and i don't like often get to do that uh because usually you know if if someone else is leading it's because of, like i'm gone and we found somebody you know right yeah <laughs> but so but no, i mean not always i obviously do sometimes sing with just our congregation but it, it's nice when you get to for sure yeah no yeah that that is cool and i mean i i enjoy the occasional opportunity to jump in there too yeah um, i mean music's rad yeah it is <laughs> it's fun making music no but you might i mean you might be a creative though <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually not a creative, so I no. It, you're you're an academic. Let's it makes real. oh my gosh, <laughs> right? Untrue. I mean, you have degrees. <laughs> yeah, but you studied books. Yeah, I've read a book. Doesn't make me an academic. You're an academic. <laughs> I've read a book. I've read a book. I've read a book. Oh uh, man! In case I mean, anyone I'm, listening in, Rob's making an inside joke right now. Yeah, I'm even, like we've, people who refer to themselves as creatives or academics str- get under my skin. <laughs> we've been on a string of inside jokes, like, self-proclaimed no one, creatives. Literally, no one's enjoying this podcast at all, and we're like, <laughs> and we're loving it. <laughs> but is, isn't that like kind of a a cultural like tagline over the last few years? People calling themselves creatives because they. Have an Instagram account, right. <laughs> and people <laughs> and people follow them. They've well, got no, like that's they've not, got five hundred followers, yeah. and now all of a sudden they become a creative. They're content creators. Yeah. Oh that's my right. gosh! <laughs> and then somebody you know got a bachelor's degree. Now all of a sudden they're a academic. That's right. Oh my gosh! Just hilarious. What's um, what would you actually put? Would you you say don't put any kind of superlative? Right? Is that what that's called? I don't know. Yeah, that would be descriptive. A, a descriptive would be yeah, more, yeah. a superlative would be like an exaggerated phrase. Of, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So, Which, what descriptive would you get? Like, if you, I'm Aaron, I'm a pastor. <laughs> okay. There <you> <laughs> I'm a human being. And sometimes <laughs> I'm just being. I'm not a human, human doing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a human being. That's, right. <laughs> That's an inside joke between Cody and <laughs> this, is, this, is the, this is the worst podcast oh, we've ever my recorded. Gosh. <laughs> oh, that was so funny when that happened. Anyway, um, yeah, no, it was nice to be able to. You know what was nice on Sunday was it was packed in there. 
Mm-hmm. It was. It was an. It was a nice Sunday. One hundred and seventy people and per then you, service, and then you, yeah, and then you're singing together. You know, like that's a lot of oh, voices. Oh man, they were so loud. And like I pointed out, I think first or second service about the room microphones. Yeah, first service. Yeah, like, I, I want to like, hear. Hey, you I, can, I can hear you guys <laughs> singing, so I want to hear you. And they were, man, they were singing really Everyone. loud. Yep, which was, uh, which was great. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, obviously, we're trying to. We don't. We don't communicate this explicitly enough, but we're trying to create a culture of worship that is not concert, but congregational, right? Yeah. It's, we're not there to just watch people sing. We're there to participate in singing. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, I feel like I try to model that from the front row. I mean, I'm, I'm belting loud normally from mm-hmm. the front row. Mm-hmm. And I think that people kind of pick up on that. Like, oh, okay, that guy's singing up there. I guess I should probably sing too. Um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of nice when you're on that other side and you can hear everybody singing. They're literally looking at you, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it was kind of fun yesterday, Yeah, but having that many people in the room singing really loud, it's kind of nice. We need to like move around, you know, sit like in the middle somewhere and then sing loud. What do you mean? Who needs to move around? You. Oh, instead of like we in the front row. I'm just saying in general, that might be a good, I, sometimes I move to the other side um, of the, cause I usually sit on, I guess, was it stage left? I'm sorry, platform left, which, which side is <laughs> more, it? I this is more inside. But um, <laughs> anyways. if you're facing this, uh, dude, this is actually, I'm the same way. If you're facing the stage, yeah. I've literally never sat on the right side of the room yeah. for a church service. I never, I do occasionally <laughs> only on the left side. It sounds differently. I hear different people singing, mm. you know, so I don't know. I feel like moving around and participating loudly is going to help people do that. Sure. And you meet new people and stuff like that, but it's hard. You have like your space. Yeah. Everyone does. Everyone's like, Oh, I sit like here. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of nice to mix it up a little bit sometimes. Yeah. I think it would trip everybody out if I moved. From my it spot. would. It would. It's like, what are whoa, you seeing over here? That's the pastor seat up there. Yeah. You even have a little reserved sign on it. No, they'd probably be like, I'm sorry, but I sit here. You need to go back over there. <laughs> yeah, what are you, supposed yeah, to like, do? What are you doing in my, this my is row, my dude? seat? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it would. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, we're in John. We're in John. Should we move right in? Yeah, why not? Before I mean, we are. Uh, time. We're talking about proclaiming. That's right. right. That's what we're talking about proclaiming. Jesus proclaiming what he's done. Testimony. Um, and so, yeah, so we, yeah, we looked at, is it five total testimonies or is it John, then five more? It's John's, John's testimonial. John and then five more. And then f- like uh, kind of how I was trying to communicate this was here's John making a testimonial about Jesus. Mm-hmm. And then here, not his conversion testimony. Right. right this right. is how I came to faith in Jesus. But the other five are the actual conversion stories of this is how five guys kind of came to faith in Jesus. Right. Which is our, I guess, our typical understanding of when we say a testimony. Sure. How did you come to faith in Jesus? But John the Baptist is more of a testimonial, making a profession. A proclamation. A proclamation. An evangelistic pro- proclamation, essentially. Or really, like, think about someone in a court of law, right? Mm. Give your testimony, your eyewitness testimony of what you saw. This yeah. is a, I am making a statement. And this is like, apart from me, I guess you could say, this is what happened. Mm-hmm. And, you know, his, the anointing, uh, you know, the uh, dove and the Holy Spirit coming down and these kinds of things is baptism. Anyway, so that's 
that's, I think, John the Baptist testimonial, but then you have five testimonies after that. Yeah. Conversion stories. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, uh, it's, uh, what were we? John 1. 19 to 51. 19 yeah. to 51 is what we're looking at. So we have John's testimonial. And it is funny, you pointed this out to me earlier in the week, but the, the rep- repetition of the phrase the next day and the next yeah. day, this is four sequential days. In theory, uh, as the story yes. goes, yeah, and it's interesting to see how John, the author, uh, shifts this spotlight, right? Yeah. Like as the theme goes, it's like this is like all John. Like people are just like, "Who are you, John? Why are you doing what you're doing, John?" You right. know, um, and even then, he's like kind of deferring, but then it's like the next day, and like Jesus is there, but it's still mostly John. And then the next day, it's like John, but Jesus even more. And then the next day, all Jesus, you know, like, so even the author is kind of like, you know, kind of shifting his spotlight from a main character to like the real main character. For sure. Um, And it's interesting to watch it progress like that. Yeah, I think obviously when we're reading the Bible, as as we're preaching and teaching the Bible, we're trying to help people also see how we're getting what we're getting. And why we're using this, you know, unit of literature, the pericope, this pericope, pericope, per, pericope, pericope. <laughs> this okay. pericope, right. this uh, unit of literature, what, what's making us sort of begin here and end here? And what's the structure of the passage? And obviously John is using these like the next day, the next day, the next day, the next day, um, as <laughs> sort of clues, literary clues that this is one literary unit. And it should kind of be seen together. And all of it is communicating one sort of main idea, which I, I can't even remember what my main idea is. The testimony is. of every disciple involves a personal confession of Jesus and a personal experience with Jesus. Yes. Which I think is true in all of these situations. Yeah. Even John the Baptist testimonial, but then the other guys like conversion stories, they're mm-hmm. making essentially professions of faith. Yeah. And then, well, so is John to some degree. He's saying, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Like, I'm not worthy to untie his sandals, you know? He's coming after me. Yeah. He will baptize you with the... Do you, do you guys disagree? Like, what, what were your thoughts about uh, mm-hmm. me assuming, as some others have assumed, that this unnamed person may be John... The, the the author. Have you guys ever heard that before? Or I have. Yeah, I've, I've. To be totally honest, I've never thought about it at all. It really doesn't change. I mean, it, we, it doesn't change anything. Yeah, we we're doing trying a new thing with youth group this year. We're doing youth group uh, a lot like how our small groups, uh, our adult small groups are, uh-huh. and we're looking at the passage that's coming up for Sunday. Um, <coughs> and yeah, I mean, I saw that. There's two disciples. We only hear anything about one. Yeah, but I like. Did, I'm. I mean, I just like didn't even care. I didn't yeah. really think about. Okay, there's two, and then there's a highlight of one. I n- I didn't ask myself what happened to the other guy. Totally at all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, either way, it, it the point was still made. Like whether it's John or not, is that hey, this was somebody whose heart was like sensitive already to Christ. He had been following John the Baptist and was looking for the Messiah and these kinds of things. And then when he showed up, it was like, okay, cool. I'll follow him. I've been ready for this or I've been prepared for this. Yeah. You know, when you started saying it, you paused a little bit, like some have theorized, you know, that this could be like that in that lead up. I was like, maybe it's Judas. And, huh. we, don't, and we don't want to mention his name. <laughs> uh, 
That's but, funny. But there's not like I don't I can't think of any uh any like uh what's the word? Uh, connection like like literature what's the word literary i can think of any literary reason to think that's a clue that it was judas yeah totally. and there's plenty of literary reasons to look at other writings in the bible yeah and see that sometimes when a person is not named specifically that it's probably the author right not naming himself yeah. right isn't john's i haven't read far enough yet or i don't remember isn't it in John's gospel when Peter and John run to the tomb, but John ran faster? Yeah. <laughs> and so, like, I, I mean, maybe the reason why it's not John is because John has no problem <laughs> writing himself into a story as yeah. being better <laughs> than right. others. Well, yeah, but he also omits his name elsewhere. So there's, that's true. That is true. And like he uses the disciple whom Jesus loved. Right. Yes. Yeah. That's true. So it's not crazy. Also in, in the other accounts in the, in the synoptic gospels um, and in Luke, I mean, so, so Peter and Andrew are first mentioned and then, and then directly following is John, James and John, which is John, the apostle, the author of. The yeah. Book. Yeah. Yeah. So they're, they, it, it makes sense. Like it fits, you know what I mean? With the other synoptics in that sense, it, that, they were following Christ directly near Andrew and Peter. Those four men were the first disciples, it seems, and all the other synoptics. So, yeah. So that makes sense. Yeah. I go along with it. I'm fine. Um, with it. It's also a little confusing because we have John telling us about John. And the, so we the, have to kind of like clarify. You had, you, you, I thought it was a good tech to just say John the author, John the Baptist. Yeah. Right. Um, but in that, John the Baptist. Like right out of the gate, one of the first things we see is him, you know, being questioned. Who are you? Mm -hmm. But the what are you doing? And we've talked about this a little bit leading into here. We didn't really talk about the main thing they questioned him about, and that's his baptism. Mm -hmm. um, and you were saying like you probably would have hit baptism a little harder if you were to go back and yeah. look at your sermon again. And um, But that is a confusing spot. What did we What did we think about that? Uh, because I think we read into our modern notion of Christian baptism onto what John's doing. Yeah. And maybe that's fair. Or is it not fair? Does it, Is his baptism representing something else entirely? Yeah. It for sure isn't, at least in the, in the sense that John would understand, representing Christ's death, burial, mm. and resurrection, because he doesn't really know about that yet. Yeah. Yeah, because... Well, yes, you alluded or hinted at the fact that I screwed up <laughs> in my sermon. I didn't say that. You said that. I should have. <laughs> you hinted at it, so I'm just saying it, that I probably should have hit harder, especially like coming out of my main point um, about, you know, a confession and a, an experience. But then sort of at the end, I was saying that, okay, to be a follower of Jesus, you got to profess faith in Jesus, but you also have to like, like get baptized as a sign that you have, as a public sign that you have put your faith and trust in Jesus. So I probably should have given a strong application point to people because there are people in our church I know who have made a profession of faith and yet have not been baptized or they were baptized as infants by their mother or their grandmother and have not made a personal decision to be baptized, which is what we believe about Christian baptism. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it begs to wonder, 
And so that's, there you go. There's my not so subtle line of if you have yet to be baptized, you should probably pray about that. And then after you've prayed about it for a day, talk to us about getting baptized here in the near future. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but in it, this text, I think, stirs up a lot of people's thoughts of where did this ceremony of baptism come from? And why was John doing this? And how did they understand it? Because we don't see any of this happening like this in the Old Testament. And so Rob is going to answer this question for us of mm. where... <laughs> I can answer it. <laughs> of course you can. Where did baptism, at least John the Baptist's baptism? We don't know. We don't know. It's not in the <laughs> Old Testament. The only thing we, we have a few, let's say, shadows. We can connect some dots. Yeah. Well, Peter specifically mentions that that Noah, the flood, is a type of baptism. It, it's a precursor <laughs> to baptism. Peter says this in his epistle, um, we see Paul reference crossing the Red Sea in the days of Exodus as a baptism, uh-huh. which you referenced when we talked. Yeah. He said that Paul said he was ba- we, they were baptized into Moses. Right. Yeah. He's basically as they cross the Red like Sea. It's like a type of baptism before baptism is instituted in the New Testament. But there's never a time where. But these are two dudes, Peter and Paul, who are looking way back. Yeah. And and I what I guess what I'm saying is those who were crossing the Red Sea would not have understood what no. they were doing as baptism, right. where they're no. identifying themselves with Moses. These guys are reading those stories backwards under the inspiration re- of the Holy Spirit, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, right. and then reinterpreting that event and right. saying, "Oh, that's kind of like baptism," and so let's just call it baptism. Um, and and so anyway, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, don't forget the Holy Spirit is the one who is revealing that to them for our help. Um, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying these Old Testament characters they would would not have that. understood no. that as baptism. No. So again, right. where is John the Baptist? Yeah. Getting this practice from? Well, the, it, I think in Exodus, like we studied with the uh, institution of the priesthood and ritual cleaning, they had to wash their bodies entirely before. Uh, going before God in the tabernacle to serve the people. And then the people themselves, before they would enter the courts, had to wash. And so I think there's probably some connection there. I think historically, um, throughout the intertestamental period, and this is what Cody had brought up, so maybe he can bring some more insight into this, that um, that type of washing was connected to when a Gentile would be interested in conversion into the people of God they would be washed ceremonially because they were unclean, uh, an unclean people who are now entering into God's people. And so they would demonstrate that through washing, which we could sort of equate to baptism, but it wasn't the way we think about it. Like, like Cody mentions, Paul talks about this in Romans six, that baptism at this point in redemptive history is signifying our burial and, you know, death and resurrection with Mm -hmm. Christ This unity with Christ is pictured in baptism. So that they wouldn't really see it that way. It was more like we need to prepare our hearts for the coming of the Lord. That's what that's what John says. You know, I'm making straight the path. I'm preparing the way for this Lamb of God who mm-hmm. will baptize you not with water, but with the Holy Spirit, which yeah. you talked about. And yeah. then in Matthew, uh, maybe it's Matthew, he says, and with fire even. But that's, so Jesus is different than John in that sense. John is just preparing people's hearts. Yeah. He's washing them before they go to the tabernacle where, right. G, where God is. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think over, so connecting the dots, if you go all the way back, the 
the priesthood had to do this ritualistic cleansing before mm-hmm. they would perform any sacrifices or religious rite or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And they would cleanse themselves head to toe. Mm-hmm. Um, so the word baptism is a transliterated word into English from Greek, essentially. The Greek word being baptizo, which means immerse. So that's coming from that practice of the Levitical priesthood where they're cleansing themselves head to toe. Mm -hmm. And uh, whether that was a bath or however that worked, they were essentially completely covered in water. Over time, there were like what Paul and Peter did where they're connecting dots. It's essentially a symbolic act of like being completely immersed in water and being cleansed. And so this idea of baptism is essentially like John the Immerser, right? He was immersing people. And of course, this symbolic act sort of became the demonstration of I'm all in. Right. I've turned from the things that I've been doing and now I'm fully in in following the Lord, right? And 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 obeying him. It was a immersion of repentance. Yeah. And you're not my one foot in, one foot out. Like that's not an option here. This this symbolic act sort of showed that. Anyway, so that's where I think the evolution of ritualistic cleansing turned into basically baptism, but it was a public sign of identification mm-hmm. with God and repentance, which then that came when the church grabbed that after, uh, well, Jesus really instituted yeah, it's baptism. during his life. He gets baptized and then he instructs his church, go therefore, make disciples, baptize them like I was. Yeah. Like that's the same word. Right. You know? So, yeah. Yeah. It was, the, but the difference is John the Baptist wasn't baptizing people in the name of the Father, mm-hmm. Son, and the Holy Spirit. He, right. It specifically says it was a baptism of repentance. Um, John's baptism was yeah. Yeah. where Jesus instituted uh, a baptism of identification mm. with the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And we are baptized into him as a public demonstration mm-hmm. of our conversion right. from whatever we were before, unbelief or wrong belief to now a, a right belief in the Lord Jesus. Anyway, that's a whole rant on yeah. baptism. But I think yeah. people wonder... Where did this even come from? And yes, you should get baptized if you haven't been baptized. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's commanded. Because it's commanded. But, and given as an example from Jesus. Yeah. People, uh, this is, I don't want to get on a rant on pedo-baptism, but I will for a second. Is that kind of... What is pedo-baptism? Thank you, Rob. It's infant baptism. <laughs> Um, which, you know, other denominations practice, Lutherans, Anglicans, Presbyterians, um, things like that. And <clears throat> the idea is, is these young children are sort of identified mm-hmm. as being a part of the covenant family of God. Right. Now, of course, they have to later on accept their baptism um, by faith or whatever, however they want to word that. Uh, but none of this... I we see in scripture. So we don't, that's why we don't practice that. But a lot of it is stemming from a new form of circumcision. So that's why, okay, you circumcised a young child, you know, eight days in, that was the covenant sign that they belonged to the family of God. Baptism is the replacement of that. That's where essentially that practice comes from. And yet that doesn't make sense for Jesus. 
because he would have also been circumcised and yet he was also baptized later on. Mm -hmm. And so it, it obviously biblically that doesn't make sense. Textually, it doesn't make sense. If Jesus did it, it should be as an adult, it should be appropriate for someone who was, I think, erroneously baptized as a child as really a, uh, dedication service. Sure. That person should, based on what scripture teaches, be baptized as an adult, as a demonstration of their own personal faith. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway. Yeah. To be fair to the pedo baptists or people who no, do we don't infant be fair. baptism. We're not fair. <laughs> a common argument from them is like, is it Cyrus? He and his household were all baptized upon conversion. But, um, but, but, he, but that one, they? there is, this is where we would say there's things that are descriptive and things that are prescriptive that is describing what happened with that person. And there's not even very much detail. Like were there, any none, of them, none of the were, text says that it would, there was an infant that child. That infants, was we don't know. Yeah. They could have been all adult family in the household. Right. And then if this was important enough that Jesus wanted it instituted, he probably would have given us detail if that was the oh, argument absolutely. we were going to use for it. Right. Mm-hmm. But, and he, the way he demonstrates it seems <clears throat> evident the way yeah. he, he participated in it. You know, John was like, I shouldn't baptize you. You should baptize me. And Jesus says, no, this is right for me to fulfill all righteousness. You know, uh, I forget exactly how he said that, but something to that effect. And, um, and then if you think through the, the new Testament and, and the book of acts in the early church, there's no, everyone who is named, who is baptized is an adult. So it does say household, but we don't have who the members of the household are or their ages. So it would be an assumption to assume, yeah. which is not a bad assumption. I mean, that's, okay, that's plausible, but it's not specified. But And then the other thing that's important to note is like the Bible does a lot of stuff to emphasize how important that baptism was, including this being the thing. I mean, John mentions the moment here. It's not mentioned as it happening directly after Jesus' baptism, but that the Spirit of God mm. comes and settles on Jesus. Like, why would God make such a dramatic demonstration at the moment of Jesus' baptism unless he was trying to draw that there is a very, like, deep significance to this act? Yeah. Yeah. It was like his inauguration in some sense in the the Synoptic Gospels. That's where his ministry begins. That's where John's testimony begins. But he says specifically in this text that Jesus will baptize you in a different way. Uh He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, which you talked about. Yeah. And you referenced the prophet Ezekiel mentioning this from, I asked and we found out (coughs) chapter 39, 29, mentioning the Holy Spirit, you know, and then of course, Peter in the early chapters of Acts referencing Joel that he will pour out his spirit on all flesh. Mm -hmm. And he talks about various um, ages of people and and using the Holy Spirit or rather the Holy Spirit filling them and, and, uh, working in them. So that's pretty new. That's like a new thing God is doing. Mm-hmm. It's a new thing, but it's not an unfamiliar thing, right? Because they they understood that. They remembered what Ezekiel, what Joel said, what Zechariah said, what Isaiah said. Mm. They knew that the Spirit would be poured out. And not only that, but I, I also mentioned how others, Samson, right? I mean, the yeah. judges had, had uh, the Spirit poured out on them. Now, the difference is it didn't remain on them mm, all the time. That's the distinguisher is it was poured out, but then it remained on Jesus. Right. Um, 
And and so that was obviously a distinguishing factor in the fact that the, the Spirit came upon Jesus that was going to empower him for his ministry. And he will empower you as he gives you the Holy Spirit as well to live with uh to live for him and to live with him mm-hmm. as a sign and seal of your actual conversion. Um, but that brings up another sort of point is why if Jesus was not a sinner, why would he be what what would he baptize unto be baptized unto repentance for? Because that was John's baptism. Yeah. And there was there's obviously an easy answer is that he wasn't <laughs> identifying with his own repentance. Right. But identifying with the repentant and Ooh. essentially saying, I'm I'm I mean, that's the whole reason why he came to earth was to identify with sinners. Yeah. Though he himself was not a sinner, he came to identify with sinners. Right. And the in, answer is the same as what did Jesus die on a cross for? Right. Same answer. <laughs> that's true. That I have not thought about that. Yeah. I, I, I thought, did, that, I I thought not, that's what you were I just saying. I did not make that connection. I thought that's what you were just saying. I mean, I, was <laughs> I, was reading, agreeing with, I thought I was agreeing with you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was reading an article that was making that point that, that his, that, the, the sacrifice on the cross is in some sense a baptism in, in blood. You know, there's a, there's a commit, there's a, yeah, there's a connection there. But anyways, um, yeah, so he was identifying with sinners. He wasn't a sinner himself. Yeah, yeah. Every step of the way. But then also I think it's important. The Holy spirit in the form of a dove in this instance remained on him. That's what this text specifically says. Uh-huh. And likewise, those of us who are converted, um, and who have put our faith in Christ, the Holy spirit remains on mm-hmm. us as well, which was unique. Yeah. Right. That's like what Jeremiah talks about in Jeremiah 31 with the new covenant mm-hmm. being unique and distinct from the old Testament where these prophets were filled with the spirit to proclaim from time to time, um, or Kings or judges, like you're saying. Um, but now all the people of God, this is what Peter says in acts two. everyone is, is filled with the Holy spirit who, is converted. Right. And so that's a very significant difference and an interesting point in this text, um, which I thought was, was pretty helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, we actually, Rob and I had a conversation with someone this last week Mm -hmm. about, this is slightly on topic and off topic of second baptism of the Holy spirit. Right. And is that something that we believe in? There are other more like charismatic, Pentecostal denominations that believe in the a second baptism. So you receive the Holy Spirit in regard to sealing your salvation, but then there's a second experience with the Holy Spirit that empowers you or, or gifts you with the gifts of the Spirit and these kinds of things. And they draw that from wrong readings of the book of Acts <laughs> and events like yeah. Cody was just talking about descriptive and pre prescriptive texts. I think it was the household of Cornelius, um, Mm -hmm. who, though he was saved, had not yet received the Holy Spirit. And this was a Gentile person. And so we had a conversation with uh, this person about this and how there was a unique thing happening at that time. And what what the Lord was trying to not do was have two churches, a Jewish church and a Gentile church. And so in order to make sure that that didn't happen, the apostles had to be a part of these Gentile conversions. And so the Holy Spirit didn't show up. And in that story, it was because Peter needed to see, oh, even the Spirit yeah. is being given to Gentiles. Right. Wow, this is amazing. But had not 
they the, those in Jerusalem been a part of that, then there would have been this sort of fracture mm-hmm. between a, the, a Jewish church and Gentile churches. But that was sort of the point of the Holy Spirit coming is there is no more Jew and Gentile. We're all one, yeah. one faith, one baptism, one gospel. That's Ephesians. And uh, yeah, one covenant, four. not two covenants. I, I heard of someone recently talking about there's two covenants right now. There's a covenant for the Jews and there's a covenant for Christians. I'm like, where in the world are you getting this? There is one covenant in Christ. Mm-hmm. Jew and Gentile are under this one covenant. And yet someone's like, no, no, it's like two covenants running parallel together. I'm like, no, that's untrue. There's one covenant <laughs> and we're all under that one covenant now. It was kind of an interesting yeah, thing. And it seems like there's some strife throughout <coughs> Acts between Jews and Gentiles, even in the church. We see this in Romans a little bit. Mm-hmm. We see it in Galatians. Um, anyway, so that, that he, God obviously knew this would be an issue. And so he was trying to fix, you know, help some of that unity. Right. Yeah. Start. I, I was curious on this one because we talk a lot about John. You know, that was a big portion of John's story is how he is promoting Jesus so well that he's his disciples walk away from him, some of them, you know? Yeah. And uh, probably he was happy about that. He was pointing to something greater, which he always said was his thing. Um, and we talk, and you talked a little bit about, like, pastors who, you know, start gathering lots and lots of people to listen to them and start thinking about their own popularity or, like, you know, for the youth group, you know, if they find themselves asking like, what's Cody's thoughts on this more than they're like wondering what did Jesus teach on this? You know, then we're getting to a problematic place. Yeah. Um, which I told them I'm not like cool enough that you're probably going to run into the danger of that. (laughs) But, um, but I was, I was wondering as you were talking, like what are, because it does seem common. What are the common ways like that we justify kind of being the star of our own testimony. Hmm. Um, like you mentioned people's whose, whose testimony, like they, they say their testimony and it seems like they made their life before Jesus sound cooler than their life after. Yeah. yeah. I don't understand the question. Uh, like, like why, like why is it such a human temptation to do that <laughs> is kind of the question or yeah. what are ways maybe we've done it in the past and had to correct ourselves. Have you ever felt like you wanted to steal the limelight? <laughs> Just be honest, Aaron. No. I haven't. I'm scared of it. Yeah. I think like I said it on Sunday, like I would be concerned if the things that I heard, I've heard from people about other like sort of quote unquote celebrity pastors, I I look at them and I say, did you just hear the way you, what you said about another human being? Like you're looking mm. to this human being to like meet some deep, spiritual, emotional, mental need yeah. that you have. And and he is going to, or she is going to let you down every time on that. And and this is when people like, like let's say a pastor has moral failing or does something ridiculously stupid and just like um, really crushes the hopes and the faith of other people. It's like, well, then your faith was in the wrong person here. Right. And, and I think that's, just at least a negative symptom or a symptom at least that's highlighted in the negative that clearly someone's putting their faith in the wrong place or too much faith in that, in that place, both the pastor who elevated himself to a point to where everybody thought he was perfect. And then when he revealed that he wasn't, then it just devastated everybody. 
Yeah. Um, but I, like, for example, there was a, a lady, well, she's a member of our church and she went and visited a, a large church and then she came back and she was like, it was the weirdest experience. She was like, at, there was literally a point where I thought, I don't know who I'm worshiping here, Jesus or this pastor. Because <laughs> there was, you know, a commercial, every announcement was about a book he's selling or a ministry or event he's doing. And it was just like, I don't, I don't know what, what I'm worshiping here, this right. person or Jesus. And when, when you, I mean, this person obviously walked out pretty like, confused and discouraged and a little mm. bit weirded out. And and yet for everybody else who attends this mega church, that's like par for the course. Like that's what that's just normal how it yeah. should be, you know? And it's sort of wild. But because then when this person like passes away, then everybody just sort of fractures off and clearly something is going wrong, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean the the thought I had when I wrote this question down and was thinking about it is I thought of like Rob was mentioning, someone said to him on Sunday, how nice it is to hear from all of us pastors. And we all have our unique perspectives and our unique ways of teaching. And, uh, you know, there's uh, a, a podcast about a church that grew really big and then, <laughs> then <laughs> dissolved. Um, and I remember one of the first episodes of this podcast, they mentioned how like there's three people that were speaking and teaching and that that was a conviction of the pastor that is like, it's good to have a team yeah. of preachers, multiple people to, for people to hear from. And that, that slowly dwindled and changed because, uh, the, the guy who ended up being kind of a bully and not having the character of a lead pastor, he eventually realized the the days that I speak are the best attended days. Mm. So let's keep our attendance up. Mm -hmm. and I'll just speak from now on, you know? And so that was kind of like a example I was thinking of, of a justification of like, it, it, in some sense it's got to be about me a little bit <laughs> because me is what they're coming to see. Mm -hmm. And if they all come to see me, I can tell them about Jesus. Mm -hmm. And we start to kind of like make some justifications oh, yeah. because I'm so cool. More people get to hear about Jesus. Or I'm so gifted. Yeah. I'm because, so, yeah, yeah. Because I'm so entertaining or whatever more people hear about Jesus. And I think like that, that can be a, a danger if yeah, you absolutely. start to elevate yourself to the place where you start going, because I'm elevated, I'm actually more able to share the gospel. Mm -hmm. There's, that's a huge difference than I happened to come across some things that made my platform big and I could share the gospel. Like I became an NFL quarterback that just happened in my life. Now I'm going to use it to, talk to people about Jesus versus like my strategy is to be as big and famous as possible. So I can share with more people about Jesus. Does that, mm, if that yeah. makes sense a little bit. Yeah, totally. Yeah. No, yeah. that's yeah. I mean, and, and clearly that person was and still is driven by <laughs> attendance. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Well, right. and views and, and clicks. Yeah. And, and exactly. <laughs> um, influence or whatever. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I'm just not, and we are not. Yeah. And John, John the Baptist was not, it seems, because he's like, don't follow me. Look at that guy. Go to that guy. I'm like, literally for the last probably 10 years, I have been trying to like save money to get a tattoo. <laughs> the tattoo is going to be John 3.30, where he says, I must increase and or I must decrease. He uh -oh. must increase. <laughs> Hopefully, it doesn't say that. <laughs> it says the reverse. I must decrease. He must increase. <laughs> and 
I'm like that is uh I mean you know the sticker he is greater than I. Yeah. You oh, know yeah. with the little like greater than symbol. He, he, yeah. Mm. I mean that's where that comes from and I think that's a right thing. Um there were the, all those YouTube videos I am second. Remember they're right, like testimonies. Right. Yeah, yeah. No, dude, I'm not even second. I'm just nowhere near second. <laughs> you know, I'm a I'm a distant second. And <laughs> you know, that's yeah. sort or of a John, weird thing. Dude, I'm just I'm just some voice. I'm just a voice, dude. Like, don't even care about where the voice is coming out of. Just right. hear what the voice is saying and respond to the person it's talking about. Right. Yeah. And and I think that uh so yeah, this person that you're referring to, it's that person is admitting I am driven by attendance. I am driven by numbers. I'm driven by population. This is really what I'm after. And Jesus is a means to getting these things. And I, I mean, you would know if, if you ever confronted that, they would just, that person would look at you and say, you're an idiot, right? They, they couldn't see it. Yeah. And, and yet ultimately they experience the effects of that sort of negative ambition or, or inappropriate ambition. And you look at Jesus' own ministry, and he saw the crowds and was like, oh, my gosh, um, I got all these people following me. I better say something really hard and controversial, and then <laughs> yeah, some yeah, of yeah. them will leave, you know? Yeah. And I think that that's <laughs> something that's to at least consider. Yeah. You such know, when you're point. like, Jesus wasn't seeker-sensitive? No. What you're saying? No, he was not seeker-sensitive. Yeah. Obviously, he was seeker-sensitive in the correct form of that, but... He wasn't going to coddle seekers in order to just build up his following. Like at the end of the day, he died alone. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, he died completely alone. And that's what's so wild about his ministry, right? Um, But yeah, I pastors who see their churches growing to like thousands of people, I, I don't understand why they don't get somewhat nervous about that. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, my assessment is churches that get really large like that on the whole, I'm not saying everybody on the whole are really just stealing Christians from other churches. Hmm. And so the, the church, the big C church isn't growing. They're just all sort of coming together into one place under one person for a while. Meanwhile, other churches are dying because this one regional church is taking Christians from their churches from an hour away. I, I think that was kind of the thing, one of the things that bothered me during COVID too, was seeing some of these churches grow that were larger because they had like the media capabilities. Yeah, They had the funding, they had these things to sort of put themselves out there better than maybe a smaller church. Mm-hmm. And so the smaller churches sort of struggled and and suffered and, and then you see all these people leave their churches and they go to the larger church um, and, and or they don't go to church anymore and they just watch online, which is obviously terrible, too. But I and you, we see these churches grow and it's like, yeah, you're growing, but because you're stealing people from other churches, like that's not a kingdom minded mm. approach to growing the church. Right. Like we want to grow the church through like evangelism, like actually sharing the gospel with a lost person and then getting them converted into faith, like just taking other Christians from other churches. You're not winning. (laughs) You're not winning at all. You're like hurting the cause. Um, So, I mean, our, our vision is to see our church grow and thrive and, 
through conversions and baptisms, but we want to see like other churches do well too, yeah. which is why we pray for other churches. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, some of them need to die because they're not <laughs> preaching the gospel, yeah. but I just wouldn't call them churches, you know? Yeah. At that point. And, but God will take care of that stuff. We yeah. want to just support the ones that are preaching the gospel and, and be a good team player yeah. with other churches, you know, get along with yeah. them, not try and take from them and say, well, I'm the stinking, clearly the more gifted person. You should yeah. obviously drive the hour and come to, come to my church. Yeah. Like, no, dude. Well, and that's what we have people from other churches that have come to our church, but like we, for the most part, investigate that at least to the point yeah. of talking to the person, if not even talking to the church they came from. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, it's like, if you came from a bigger church out of town and you live in Camby and you came, you just started coming to a church in your, t- in your city. Great. It's like, that's not even really stealing. <laughs> you no. know, like, that's just no. like, you're just like, we would, yeah. oh, I mean, actually we have several people coming from Salem and we've always been up front that like, you should probably find a church in Salem <laughs> and they haven't and they're still coming. And like, <coughs> and the commitment there has been like yeah. way more than we ever thought they would be able to do. Totally. Coming from that far away. Well, that's the exception, but like, not the rule. That is the total exception. But I'm saying even then we were like, are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> like, right, right. Do right. it really far away, you know? But yeah. No. Yeah, totally. Anyways, we're, I think getting off the text at this point, but yeah, well, let's stay on the subject of humble then and like <laughs> skip to Andrew, <laughs> like this person, humility. Cause it, Andrew is a cool story in that like Peter gets a ton of attention. Right. And he's the rock on which the, the, you know, the church is built off of. Um, but, mm-hmm. but the only reason Peter is there. Is because Andrew went and found him. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is like kind of a cool idea. The idea that, uh, you know, kind of participating in the evangelism and even discipleship of someone who's going to come and do like bigger, better things than you should be like super exciting for us. Yeah. But oftentimes, unfortunately, we see like there's some jealousy, some territorialness that can come up when you yeah. start seeing someone, you know, beyond where you were when you helped them become a Christian. Mm. Uh, you know, and so sometimes I think about that too, is like, how do we get ourselves in the right mindset to say like, maybe I'm an Andrew and I'm going to, I'm going to be a significant part of a ministry because I helped bring the person who's going to be the person that does the more significant thing mm. than I did. Yeah. But I'm still a significant part that I played. And in some sense, Andrew then in the work that he did to invite his brother along, uh, it partakes in the fruit of Peter's ministry. And of course he had, I'm sure plenty of spiritual fruit from his own involvement as an apostle. Yeah. Yeah. Like, dude, I, I don't know how Billy Graham became a Christian, you know, like somebody of stuff like that. Some, but somebody did, I don't know. We could probably, I probably could find that one, but there's some we can't even find. Yeah. You know? Who, there's, there's who, some... who shared Jesus with like St. Francis of Assisi? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like no one will ever know probably. <laughs> well, there, there are actually some books out there. I was thinking about referencing them. It was like the mothers of these people. And yeah. it, 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 interesting there, it tells the story of their moms and how many of them led these young boys who ended up becoming, you know, significant figures in church history how they like raise them up to know the Lord. I mean, look at Timothy, for example, yeah. right? I mean, the grandmother and mother, yep. you know, invested in Timothy. And then Timothy became, you know, who he was, sort of like the 
protege of of the apostle Paul. And and thankfully we have these two women's names yeah. and how often there's like a mother behind the conversion of some yeah. person who ends up do going on and doing great things, you know? Uh, but there's a book out there that gives sort of like the each chapter is on the mother's life of That's one of these cool. figures. Do you remember is, the name? It's uh, probably worth a read. Pretty encouraging. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is encouraging. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of Andrews out there, right? Who they come to the Lord, um, but they're also they understand the discipleship model. You become a disciple and then you make disciples. Yeah, and I think <laughs> John the the author is clearly highlighting. That this is how this works, you know. When it's not just my own personal Jesus, this is this is Jesus for everyone. Let me go tell any and all who is willing to hear that we've found Him, the Messiah. Yeah, and He obviously runs to His brother first. And I'm sure He didn't stop there. Yeah, um, right. Yeah, but He, you know, living in the shadow of your brother or living in the shadow of something else, you're just like, dude, I'm just, I'm happy. I'm in the, I'm in the kingdom. Yeah. You know, I'm yeah. not in any shadow. I'm in the light right now, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As as I was thinking about, I wrote down I wrote down four reasons that I think we get that wrong sometimes when we find ourselves like jealous or or territorial of someone who's like doing more mm. than than we could do. I think to first of all, you have like a uh, a misunderstanding of your own gifts at that point. Like yeah. maybe that is not your role in the church. And you need to just like chill out. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like that, maybe that's just not your gift. That's not the way uh, G- God is going to use you. Mm-hmm. I think we can also have a misunderstanding of our identity, mm-hmm. like not understanding our identity correctly, like that we are, we're a human being, not a human doing. <laughs> the, Good point. Good the point. Thing we're, we're defined by the things we yeah, do. Yeah, the action we do, like our identity is in Christ, whether we do something that we could write down in a history book or not, you know? But then clearly, like you already said, we're misunderstanding the Bible very clearly because Paul and Timothy already have a great example of that, including, you know, other people who also, you know, yeah. uh, you know, I, the... I decrease so someone else can increase, you know, like all that type of stuff. Uh, And then definitely a misunderstanding of Jesus because it's always been about him and not about what you were going to do, you know? Yeah. Um, Well, yeah, and we can't control what is sort of going to happen with this other person. Right. You know, we should be somewhat pleasantly surprised as anybody else. Like, dang, this is cool, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, I've always kind of loved the idea of helping someone who does way more than I can do. Yeah. But I think part of that's like me understanding my gifts a little bit. Like yeah. I don't, I don't see God having given me the gifts that are going to put me in a position where I lead a large ministry, you know? And yeah. so helping someone who maybe goes off and does that, does something really interesting like that, that, uh, what's it like Michael Scott when he's helping, uh, <laughs> on the he's, office, when he's helping Dwight with that speech and Dwight, you know, yeah. Dwight kills the speech with like a thousand people, you know? And he's like, it, later he's entertaining Dwight at the bar and Dwight's laughing. And he's like, man, I just like, I just cracked that guy up, you know? Like, I'm the, you know, I'm the guy who like entertained a guy who influenced a thousand guys. Like, can you <laughs> believe that? A thousand guys. Like, it's just like, yeah. he just takes the, he cuts out the whole middle section and just make, like takes the number for right, himself, right, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to do that. No. But a thousand guys. Well, so on that subject, though, you mentioned Andrew shares the gospel with a lot of people, right? And you said, like, 
You said, uh, what'd you say? That, uh, in, in most of the mentions of Andrew, he's bringing someone to Jesus. Yeah, and you said, that's what we should brag about, how many people we bring to Jesus. Yep. Yeah. And I wondered, like, should we brag about how many people <laughs> we bring to Jesus? I mean, we <laughs> should let we should let someone else brag about us, <laughs> like John is doing uh, for Okay, good correction. Probably like what, that. Yeah, what you meant is like, you should be known for what Andrew is known for. Yeah. Yeah. Someone okay. who's always bringing someone to Jesus. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you think you have an, do you have an Andrew in your life? What do you mean? Someone who's always bringing someone no, to Jesus? Someone, no, like someone brought you to Jesus and yeah. now you've brought thousands. But like they weren't like a significant, uh, I guess, I don't know. Like they were the, they were the, the thing that got you to make that choice. No, I was a, I was a Philip. That's true. Jesus, Jesus sought me out. <laughs> <laughs> he went into Galilee. He went out of his way, dude, because I wasn't coming anywhere near any of that. <laughs> yeah. No way, dude. I, I have awesome. none of that. But at the end of the day, they all were drawn in different ways. That's what's really encouraging about this this section. I think each of these individuals has a little bit of a different story. Um, yeah, but, a friend, a family member, a mentor, Jesus himself, like plucking you out of thin air. You know, right, like those yeah, are yeah. all there. That's yeah. kind of cool. Yeah, it's like a survey of how often people are called to follow Christ and, and become mm-hmm. converted. Yeah, um, I mean from the from the easy low hanging fruit john and andrew uh, assumingly john and andrew the first two d- disciples that follow him and then it goes all the way down to the skeptic right like it sort of moves on and and then in the middle with peter you have this person who i mean isn't like necessarily being saved from their sin they're being called to a purpose to a calling and I think that, unfortunately, in a lot of evangelistic um, messages today, we don't emphasize that idea of purpose enough, that God wants to save you to something. We definitely highlight this idea that you need to be saved from something. You need to be saved from hell. You need to be saved from sin. We are wretched sinners. Rah, 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 you know, like mm-hmm. making f- people feel really low. And you're like, oh, I guess, yeah, I should probably come to Jesus because I suck. Um, and he's pretty good and I can't believe he'll forgive me. But this idea of like, whoa, wait a second, God wants to use me. Like now I have a purpose for my existence and why I should follow him. I think that there's a lot of people who would probably be more incentivized with that message than just the message of I'm a sinner in need of a savior, Yeah, which is not untrue. But I think Peter's call is clear. That's like, some people will listen to that other thing. Yeah. That like, hey, some of you though, your 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 sin is not necessarily like you're an a addict, um, or you're an abuser or something like that. You know, you're just like living in a gutter somewhere, but you're not living according to God's plan and purpose for your life. So you're like in sin right now. Um, you may be a great dad. You may be you know coaching the high school football team. I don't know. You may be a great person, but you're not living your life for the Lord. Yeah. You are in sin right now, and you have a greater calling than just being a high school coach. You can be a high school coach that like also is an example of what it looks like to follow Jesus for people. Yeah. And and impact people eternally rather than just like in a sport or something. Yeah, yeah. So I think that that's another thing that we fail in our evangelistic uh 
opportunities is to sort of highlight that positive yeah. nature as well. Yeah. I mean, when you were talking about that, that Peter, like that, it's like the same name twice, but like it's now he's being used a different way. It made me think of someone from the conference we were just at was talking and they talked, mentioned spiritual gifts. And one of the things they said was like, you know, regardless of what you think about spiritual gifts, like your natural gifts are spiritual gifts when you use your natural gifts to do spiritual things. Sure. <laughs> like that's a, you're a totally different, you know, like you said, a coach or whatever. Like if you're a plumber or an electrician and your church floods and no one's going to be able to gather for worship and the plumber and the electrician get the church ready, like they just did something very spiritual sure. with like a totally natural gift. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that often we, we miss that when we're like, what's my life, but what's my like spiritual gift, you know, right. like what's yeah. my thing. Um, and yeah, I think like someone a long time ago, I don't remember where told me like to fuel your evangelism, like daydream about non-Christian people, what they'll be like as Christians. Yes. You know, like when you look at someone and go like, dude, this guy does this, this, and this. If he was in my church and loved Jesus and he was doing that stuff, like <laughs> that would be rad, you know? Yeah. And like to like let that fuel you to like evangelize, you know? That made me think about this Babylon B article. <laughs> Where the pastor, they it was like obviously it's a total satire joke, but they're talking about how they saved a professional baseball player so that they could join their church softball team. Yeah. <laughs> I do. I remember that. I so remember good. that one. Think of how great our church softball team would be if we could convert this guy. Dude, that'll to Jesus. Your... Yeah. Okay. So I mean, I guess. Use that. Check your check your dreams. Do that with a <laughs> grain of salt. Use that use that to an extent. Keeping in mind the other things we've talked about in this yeah. conversation, that making your church the coolest, most popular, <laughs> is not the way. <laughs> it's not the way to uh, to pleasing no. God with your ministry. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> well, I'm talking more for the benefit of that person and how and the benefit of the kingdom. Not right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look at that. Your neighbor across the street. Your coworker at work. And just look at a normal person and think, man, how great would they be if they were, you know, following the Lord, you know? Yeah. Not necessarily the professional athlete and exactly, how they yeah. could be, how they could increase your, uh, your uh, wins right. on the Benefit softball your church team. Or, or man, we could, what if we saved like Eddie Van Halen and had him on our <laughs> worship team? How awesome would that yeah. be? <laughs> That's a re- bad motive. <laughs> yes. Right. But which we're, we're getting a little long. So, okay. But we probably should hit the last one. Oh, Nathaniel. Because um, you, you, you told I a, spent a little more time on Nathaniel. You, you told a, a cool story. That you disagree with? That about you Nathaniel. completely fabricated cool story. and inserted into the scriptures. So I was, we're, I was, we're, we're I was, worried about you. I Aaron. was a little curious. I was thinking, cool story. <laughs> <laughs> Rob, but Rob, did you, did you have an no, obje- no, objection? No, no, no. Spec- I, I, objection, speculative? I thought you're, yeah. <laughs> Objection, <laughs> speculation. <laughs> uh, it was oh it was a speculation, but I, I I liked your textual basis for it. That Jesus says, Nathaniel, here is a Jew in whom there is no deceit. Yeah. And you connected it to the fact that he mentions <laughs> this story about Jacob, who was the deceiver. And and you and I and I don't I don't I think that your your uh you know assumption that you put in there was Helpful. It was interesting to listen to. Yeah. But like you even said, you know, in the sermon, like obviously the Bible doesn't say that, but it it makes sense with with the text that something happened. Jesus saw something happen under a fig tree 
that meant something like yeah. really important to Nathaniel that none of us know about. Well, it's funny. I actually went back and read it because back and read what Genesis what twenty eight. No, or something I, like that? I read back over just the account John. that we yeah. were all that we were already in. Oh, and John too. Because One. I have always thought that Nathaniel was under a fig tree, mm. and he went and said, "Come see." And so Jesus was like, yeah, dude, I saw you under that fig tree, you know? Um, and so I went back and read it again, but I think that's just how my mind always played it out. Well, like, it does say like, like before he called before you when you Philip were under that, called I just, you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. So I've always in my mind made it like immediately before he was called, he happened to be sitting under yeah. a fig tree. Right. And like, how did Jesus know that? You know, that's how I've always read it. But I actually was like, was he not just sitting under a fig tree? Why do we need to figure out what fig tree it was? But that does when I went back and read it. You it doesn't say he was under fig tree like the the fig tree. Jesus is the first one to right. mention the fig tree. So like, what was he talking about? So it could have been yeah. What, like I I, I agree. My, the the uh, the most obvious reading of it is like what you're saying. He was just sitting under a fig tree, right? But I think because of his reaction, which seems to be like you are the son of God. It's yeah, ri- it's this ridiculous. Fig tree must yeah. be it significant. No in it doesn't his make life. sense unless some something happened that was significant to Nathaniel yeah. under this fig tree. Yeah. So your idea of him pouring his heart out in prayer, perhaps, and not receiving an answer for some time, mm-hmm. is an interesting thought. Yeah. Like, that could be possible, entirely right. possible. But it, it, you know, it's just a speculation. Sure. But something happened that was significant enough that. Jesus was able to speak to, and it it completely just awakened faith in Nathaniel. And he's yeah. like, "Whoa, this that you are not you were we were just looking at me from over there, and I was standing under a fig tree." Yeah, that can't be what that means, <laughs> right? You know? yeah. yeah, yeah. As you went on, but it's funny because yeah, I just like I always saw like in my mind's eye saw a fig tree as he was called, totally. You know, and so I had to go back and look. Like, oh, I guess it doesn't say no. where the fig tree came from, and so that made it more. Uh, more understandable and right. and then you yeah you had fairly good evidence for why that's a reasonable thing to believe yeah i mean i don't know if you guys have had these experiences i i have one and i'm not going to talk about it because honestly it won't it won't make sense to anybody but you have those experiences where it's like i know god loves me i know that from the gospel and this and that but then like god will do something mm-hmm. that's like unique to you as a person and like maybe it's uh, a gift or a um, like someone serving you or meeting a need or something like that. And you're like, how only God would know Mm -hmm. what would help me in this situation or what would affirm me in this moment. And you just, you can't deny it. Like it's such a weird subjective thing and you're like only only God could have done something like that, God and thing. it's it's a God thing, total, it's a total God, thing. total God thing. Yeah. But it's it's a it's a demonstration of His like love to you as a person, and I think that's kind of where my main point or that part of my main point, like that personal experience mm. with Jesus, where it's yeah. like I know God loves the world, and yeah. I know He died on the cross, but He died for me. He loves me, and th- these are. I, I look to the cross, mm. but I also look to this experience. He he delivered me from that, or he saved me to this, and this is how he's loved me personally. Um, and that's that's my personal testimony. At the same time, though, I know he loved me because even outside of those experiences, he died on the cross for me. Yeah. Um, because that's what he says to him afterward, right? Like, 
because I said I saw you under the fig tree, you believe? Just wait until you see me die on the cross for you. <laughs> then, then you'll know how much I love you. Uh, wow, I, I saw you under a tree. I mean, yeah, I think yeah. that's, that's an important like amplification of this love that he has for Nathaniel, that he heard him in this moment and became present and, present and evident to him. Mm-hmm. But also it's like, don't, don't settle with that. However, God loves you subjectively. Um, you know, he provided a bill or he like someone sent you a, a text message to encourage you when you were really down and you're like, man, only God could have like done something like that. Yeah. But okay. That's still as great as that is. The greater thing is that he died on the cross for you and uh, sent his son to die on the cross for you. So anyway, yeah. I think that's where he goes with that. at right. the end. And the Jacob's ladder idea too, like heaven and earth, like you're, you're cool with this, like, you know, I kind of, like, predicted this thing. Like, you know, people people make livings, like, figuring out ways to manipulate people into thinking they know stuff that that they didn't really know. You know, like, yeah. uh, whatever, they're fortune tellers. And, like, mm. people, like, predict things. Like, how do they know that? Right. And he's like, dude, other people could probably, like, mm. do something like what I just did, <laughs> even if it was fake. And mine was a real version of it. Yep. But he's like, dude, you're going to experience like heaven and earth, like overlapping. Yeah. <laughs> like, like Nathaniel probably is at Pentecost, right? Mm. Like tongues of fire filling him with yeah. the spirit. Like, yeah. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> like big things are happening this soon, s- you know? Stairway to heaven. We should have played that song. <laughs> I was telling Aaron with the youth group, I was like, you know, Jacob's Ladder, when you take those like uh, strings and you loop them around your fingers and your friends like take them and loop them around mm. and you make these patterns. And all the kids were like, that's Cat's Cradle. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then I was like, oh. Well, there's other stuff called Jacob's Ladder. That's where this comes from. Like, <laughs> like, they were just like, what is this guy talking about? <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, but another thing is like Nathaniel came to Jesus like completely um, skeptically. Yeah. There's th- this guy is not the real deal. And so what – so yeah, I think you're right to say something supernatural happened and we don't have all the details so we can kind of fill in some of the holes you know, so that to help us understand it. But at the end of the day, we realize he came skeptically. Jesus revealed something that only the son of God would know. And he professed faith immediately. And then Jesus says, yeah, but there's better stuff coming. Right. There's better stuff coming. Dude, I just love how condescending Jesus is. (laughs) Condescending is probably not the right word. I mean, condescending is like, I think he was sarcastically condescending. Yeah, I think it was, I definitely think that was a sarcastic comment. Look at this guy, indeed, <laughs> a true Israelite yeah. in whom there is no deceit. <laughs> There's no deceit. He doesn't even try to hide how prejudiced he is against me and my hometown. <laughs> he just fully says it out loud for everyone to hear. Oh, my gosh, dude. <laughs> dude, but I, I think, see. like, Look you know. Look at this jokester coming in here. <laughs> but him being a skeptic, though, I think... Like there's there's a big difference between people who are skeptical and people who are hard hearted. Yeah, yeah. Like Nathaniel, I mean, there's a must be some reason that Philip's like, I think I found the Messiah. I got to go tell Nathaniel. Like yeah. Nathaniel, obviously, at least to his friend Philip's mind, is someone seeking. Yeah, that out or sought. And he's out. yeah, he's skeptical now, but he's like authentically looking. And I there's countless testimonies of believers who were authentically skeptical and that's what brought them to Christ yeah. is like their, 
their investigation of what they were skeptical of. But oh, sometimes yeah. people are like, ah, oh, I'm a skeptic. And what they really mean is like, my heart is completely hardened to this. <laughs> and that's totally different. Yeah. Yeah, no, but for sure. All things are possible with God. He can break through oh, any, yeah. any heart. Right. And, he can soften and we'll see hearts. that long, more in John. For sure. Uh, we should probably keep going, mm-hmm. though. Okay, We're getting a, little, getting a little long. <laughs> yeah, uh, let's see. Let's do this one. Although, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm ready. Okay, here you go. Volunteer of the week. All right. Our volunteer of the week is Nathan Pricer. Nice. Yeah. Nathan, we made him the volunteer of the week. He actually wasn't volunteering on uh, on our worship team this week, but he went to the worship conference with us. And uh, and I got him volunteered uh, <laughs> to help with a a part of the worship conference where yeah. people go up on stage and play a song and then get critiqued on how they could have played Improved, the song differently yeah. or led the congregation better. And uh, and he jumped right in, and so we gave him the volunteer of the week. But we did mention there's like a a, a few people that we could have also given it to Ashley Bentley. Did the conference did and then served at a memorial service yeah. and served at church. Uh, Hannah Barr, who was doing sound for the first time, mm-hmm. you know things like that. But we gave it to Nathan uh, because not only does Nathan volunteer, uh, you know, diligently and steadily at our church when he's available to, even though he's like a night shift worker <laughs> and, lives, and lives and lives far away. It is like sleeping between services yeah. because he should be asleep at home at the time. Uh, but also went to this conference with us and then volunteered there to do something that's like high pressure. Uh, you know, like most people would not want to be in that situation. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he did, and he and he did awesome. Yeah, there's like recording music artists in there, and yeah. like a bunch of musicians. So that that can and be then, and they said let's put a, a bunch of people who have n- literally never played a song together in their lives, and then critique it. <laughs> and Nathan's like, yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> never awesome. met each other. He it just, was awesome. He was amped up. Yeah, him. so he's a volunteer of the week. So if you see him around, tell him how much you appreciate him. You appreciate his energy and his uh, his willingness to serve his passion for worship. Uh, let him know uh, that you appreciate him and that he was the volunteer of the week. It's time for Bible trivia right now. Okay, we learned a few sets of brothers uh, this Sunday. Cool. Okay. Um, so this section is called brother against brother. Did we learn a few sets? Wasn't there just uh, two brothers? Well, James, uh, James isn't mentioned, but we think John was with Andrew. John was the unnamed. Mm, and okay. James, John's brothers, James, who isn't mentioned in this passage is true, but, um, Andrew and Peter. Andrew and Peter. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And the rest of them are brothers in Christ. Okay. okay here. <laughs> brother versus brother. There you go. Um, makes sense. Brother versus brother. <laughs> Uh, I'll ask you a hard one first, and then we'll get some easy ones, maybe. Mm. What son Uh-oh. of Gideon killed 70 of his brothers at once? Wow. No idea. <laughs> what son <laughs> That's of Gideon? That's awesome, though. I don't know any sons of Gideon. Killed no. 70, 70 of his... Well, obviously, these aren't like blood brothers. I don't know. Killed 70. I, I'm trying to think of judges. It's been a while since I've studied judges. Is it like... Is it like Gideon Jr.? I don't know. Is there any chance that it's just Gideon Jr.? No idea. No idea. Ab Gideon? That is wild. Ab Gideon, son this of Gideon? From ju- Judges 9, Abimelech. Is Abimelech. Okay. Dude, it was Abimelech. Ab. Do, uh, do I get it? For no, that? you don't. Give us a want one. that one. 
That's tough. Uh, who hated his brother for taking away his birthright? Esau. Ah, uh, dang it. Yeah, Esau. <laughs> Esau, everyone knows that one. Yeah, give it to us. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, Let's see. <laughs> this one's too easy. Some of these are really easy. Okay. Um, What dreamy boy? <laughs> Joseph. <laughs> 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 the rest of the question was what dreamy boy was dreamy hated, boy. hated for being his father's favorite it was Joseph that was so <laughs> fun. dreamy boy that's such a funny way of putting it that is a funny way <laughs> anyways that's enough of that brothers they're all over the place oh, oh brother great. where art thou <laughs> what? that's a movie title Thank you for listening to the Canby Christian Church podcast. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit canbychristian.org.